Welcome to our series in the book of 1 Corinthians. And the title of our series is Grow Up. Grow Up. The title of our message today within the series is Great Expectations. And there's a question mark there because the question is, what are our expectations? What are your expectations? And often they're great expectations, you know. Subconsciously, what might they be? Our text is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. And we're currently talking about um, the reported divisions that are apparent in the church at Corinth. And over the next probably eight weeks, we're going to be unpacking the rationale behind these divisions and the reasons for the divisions that were apparent in the church. Misunderstandings fundamentally of the gospel. Misunderstandings with regards to the cross. Like, what is the cross all about? Well, if you misunderstand the cross, then that poses massive problems with regards to your paradigm, spiritually speaking. And one of Paul's arguments here is that, you know what, the gospel is not earthly wisdom. So there's a wisdom that's earthly and there's a wisdom that's heavenly. And we have to understand the difference between the two. What are your expectations and possibly your great expectations? That of yourself, that of your church, if this is your church, or the church that you attend, you might be visiting today. What is your great expectation of Jesus? I've got three points today, hopefully taken from the text. I say hopefully. Pastor E pulled me up on using that word, so I'm trying to change my vocabulary. I'm confident that the text... <laughs> I'm confident that the text clearly articulates these three points. And it is my hope that God will help me to communicate that. Is that better context, really, Pastor e? Amen, sir. Amen. Thank the Lord. We learn something new every day, isn't it? As disciples, that should be true of all of us. My three points are, number one, consider, consider God's calling, which is verse 26. Number two, consider God's choice verse 27 through to 29, and thirdly, consider God's Christ, which is verse 30 to 31. Um, would you read with me as we read our text? Verse 26 to 31, 1 Corinthians 1. Notice where I get my points from. For consider, that's what we're trying to do this morning. For consider your calling, brothers, including the sisters, not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Shall we pray together? Father, thank you that you have saved us by your grace, called us into your family. And as, you, as our Heavenly Father and as your spiritual children, your desire for us is that we would grow, is that we would develop, that we would mature. I pray, Father, that you would help us as, as we look at this portion of your word. Lord, as we feed on it, I pray that, Lord, nourishment would be imbibed and that we would be transformed on that basis. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Contrasts. Just before we jump into our text, in brief summary of the previous section, uh, which Richie, I was going to say murdered last week. Um, <laughs> Rich done a great job. In you, have be, you have to be careful with the colloquialisms, isn't it? Um, Rich done a great job in sharing last week. And um, <clears throat> this really is the continued context. There are two spiritual groups in our text. There are those who are perishing, and there are those who are being saved. Group one, those who are perishing, to them the, the message about the cross is real foolishness. To those who are being saved in group two, the message about the cross is real wisdom. To those who are perishing, they reject the message of the cross. To those who are being saved, they believe the message of the cross. To those who are perishing, the cross, and particularly Christ crucified, is weak and non-impressive. Yet to those who are being saved, it's through the cross and it's, it's through Christ's crucifixion that we're rescued. To those who are perishing, Christ crucified is a stumbling block and it's folly, foolishness. To those who are being saved, Christ is actually the power of God. To those who are perishing, signs and earthly wisdom is what they seek. God eventually is going to make their wisdom foolishness. Their quote-unquote wisdom. God is going to eventually thwart and destroy them and their worldly wisdom. But to those who are being saved, can you see Christ? He's the wisdom of God. And he's the one that we seek. And God's going to make what seems like foolishness when the world looks at us. God's going to show that to be incredible wisdom. And God is going to, he's going to come and he's going to eventually rescue us through this ageless message of the cross. In this summary of last week's text, <clears throat> and the text that we're going to look at today, because as I mentioned, they're interlinked. Paul's going to highlight a problem. And it's the temptation for this church in Corinth. They're supposed to be group two, that is believers, right? But often they think too much like group one. They think very much like unbelievers. 
The temptation for the church in Corinth is those who are being saved, they think a little bit much too like those that are perishing. And this is what Paul is in the process of addressing. This is, this is one of the things that's at the root of the divisions in the church at Corinth. And this is what could potentially be one of the roots that any division that we see in our church right here in Lewisham could possibly stem from. Now, can you see the two groups, right? The two teams. Wouldn't it be a shame to be on God's team and yet to think like the other team? That would be like scoring our own goal. You know what I'm saying? It's not helpful. So the three things to consider. Number one, let's consider God's calling. Verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. In at least three places in this book, Paul's going to refer to these Corinthian Christians as proud. Another word he uses is arrogant. Another word he uses is one that we don't really often use and it's puffed up. Anybody get an impression as to what that might mean? To be puffed up. Or what's the term that we use today? Gassed. It's the same thing. It's to be overinflated and self-inflated. It's one thing when somebody else bigs you up, yeah, you know, you're like, cool, man, yeah, all right then. But it's another thing when you big up you and you overinflate yourself. When I overinflate myself, and I'm saying another term could be boastful. And, and it would be one thing if these Corinthians were boasting in the Lord, but no. They were narcissistic and self-inflating and they were very heavily influenced. Hear me. They were very heavily influenced by the surrounding, all-consuming, Hellenistic Greek culture. How many of you know? If we're not careful, the culture will get the better of us. And I say that with fear in my heart and, you know what I'm saying, and a reality in my thinking because it's powerful, you know what I'm saying? It's powerful and we need a different type of power in order to resist that temptation to get sucked in, you know what I'm saying? In the first century in Corinth, the standards were pagan. And there was this whole thing about grand oratory, you know what I'm saying, and intellectualism and, and beauty, aesthetically speaking. You know what I'm saying? A lot of externals. Our culture, is it, would it be unfair to say our culture is similar? It's like there ain't nothing new under the sun, right? I think, I mean, music is one of the things that I, I'd like to think I know a little bit about. Take music, for example. You know, if you hear a song now and it ain't perfect, you know what I'm saying, you could easily just disregard it. You know what I mean? It's like they've got this new competition in it. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a singing competition 
where you're covered up and you're singing and they've got to they judge and so on. I've not actually seen any, I've seen the adverts, you know what I'm saying? And, and the voice could be another one, you know what I mean? And, and, it's, and, and it's crazy because a lot of singers, you know, actually can't sing. You know, like they got this thing in the studios now, they call it auto-tune. You know what I mean? And it can actually make you sound much better than you really are. I mean, social media is the easy one to go to, isn't it? Um, with regards to kind of taking pictures and makeup and you see someone like, I see some of these transformations and like, you're like, yo, like, is that the same person? And even with the singing thing, it's like, there's loads of people that can't really sing, but the auto-tune will nice them up. But then you've got, you got the exceptions. Then you've got those people who really can sing. I mean, like an, like an Adele. Or like a Whitney Houston. Did any, anybody see the Whitney Houston thing last night on telly? It's like, you know, I, I think this was done in 2018. I swear I've seen it before, but it was coming like I never see it before. And um, I, um, you see, obviously, you know, her story. And, you know, I was, I was left with tears in my eyes when you see the demise of Whitney Houston. But there's one particular point that I had tears in my eyes, but it was emotion and just the power of her performance when she sang at the, um, was it the Super Bowl she sang at? My Girl Come Out. And the funny thing is, you get the story from the guy who was her producer who put the music together and so on. And he tells you about how he put the music together and he sent it off to the band that was going to play and they never liked it. And, and, and Tutu's, he was chasing up Whitney saying, look, Whitney, you want to you wanna, you, come and rehearse the song? You know what I'm I mean, it's only the Super Bowl, right? And I'm saying, come with rehearsals. And Whitney's like, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, don't worry. The day came, no rehearsal. And she's gonna, she steps up. And my man is, sh my, you can imagine my, how my man is just shook. Because if this goes pear-shaped, it could be his job on the line. You know what I mean? I mean, Whitney Houston's Whitney Houston. But my man, you know what I mean? He, he could be done out here. So my girl steps up. And if you've seen or heard the performance, like I said, I was left with... She absolutely... Oh, my... Beatrice, I mean, you're a singer, isn't it, sis? Have you heard her sing that thing? It, it, just, it just leaves you with goose pimples. Spine chingling, tingling, even. <laughs> chingling, you know. Some Jamaican patois. <laughs> but how many of you know, when it comes to singers, most, most singers can't sing like Whitney. You know what I mean? She's, an, she's the exception. You know, often, because of the culture we live in, people are drawn to, to charisma and not content. And, and such is true in our culture. It's like, you can't expect everybody to be able to sing like Whitney. But that don't mean that you can't try a thing. Do your thing, innit? But not everyone is going to be like her. And a part of what Paul is saying here is, you can't expect every single Christian to be powerful and impressive. You know what I'm saying? In, Rich done it last week and, and Pastor B done it the week before, talking about what is your expectation of, you know what I'm saying, your pastors? You know what I'm saying? Is it that... You come in and you expect to be entertained. Sometimes at the end of a message, I feel like, I feel like my man in Gladiator, 
How are you not into like you know what I'm saying? Like it's like because it's it's a thing where often you feel like rather than you know what I'm saying, being a part of the body, doing your part, it's just it's just our little it's it's I say our little, it's our part. Everyone's got a part to play. You know what I mean? Without any kind of encouragement or you know what I'm saying? It's like sometimes you can see when a brother's struggling up here. You know what I mean? And um, what, how, how do you judge them? What is your expectation? Often, what is your great expectation? Is it that you're looking for someone to be real impressive, like a Whitney Houston in the pulpit every Sunday? I heard someone say, about John MacArthur. They said to John MacArthur, John MacArthur, like, we know that you're a preacher and that, yeah? But what do you do the rest of the week? <laughs> you can hear the insinuation, innit? My man said, and it did really encourage me, my man said, you know what? He said, apart from what I do in the week, he says, you see when I preach on a Sunday, he says, it's like writing a dissertation every week. Hey. And imagine if you got to preach twice a week. Or three times, sometimes. Anybody ever written a dissertation? Anybody ever written a, a, a 10,000 word essay? All right, well, you, you, well, you know. 50, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, I'm saying, what is your expectation? You know what I mean? That when, when Pastor B steps up, it's going to be, well, let me see. First of all, I'm going to check the length. Is it actually 10,000 words or is it 15,000 words? That's the first thing. You know what I mean? And then, okay, let me score this. Let me give you a mark. Is Pastor B going to walk out with a first? Or not? <laughs> what is your expectation? Have you come to be entertained? Are you more concerned about the, the, the charisma of the speaker and his ability to, you know what I'm saying, walk around and converse with you and give you a word of knowledge? Or say something that is... That's what, I was wait, that's what I was waiting for. I mean, I was in Jamaica, yeah? Like, when, when we've done mission strips and preached, you can tell the people are like, my man ain't started preaching yet. You're, you're, you're half an hour in. You ain't started. Until you start perspiring. Until you start, draw for your hanky and start mop your brow. Until you start raising your voice and gesticulate. You ain't started to preach yet. See? That is their great expectation. Now, obviously, I'm speaking very generally. It's not every single church. And... You see, there are going to be the few that are, that are going to be exceptional. And, and, we'll, and we'll, 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 we'll lick the ball out of the park virtually every time they step up. You know what I'm saying? Like a John Piper or a Tim Keller or a Ravi Zachariah. Them, them, them the man there are the Whitney Houstons of preaching. But how many of you know there are not many of them? Most Christians, most 
most Christians and Christian leaders are a bit like, so I was away at a church last week um, at Selhurst Evangelical Church. Um, a, a relationship that's been developing through LCM for a little while now and had the chance to go and preach. But I was so encouraged because I was nervous thinking, what is going to be their expectation of me? You know what I mean? Are they expecting a rock star, in the, you know what I'm saying, preacher in the pulpit? And I was so encouraged to see that even as, the, as, as my friend, the pastor, stepped, stepped up, Rob Pickering, hopefully you get to meet him, because me and Pastor, he was talking about a pulpit exchange at some point. He was like, he was like you know, brothers and sisters, we've got a guest today, and you know what I'm saying, he's come in in all humility, trusting that God is going to use him. We're not looking to him. We're looking to the Lord. We're looking to his word. I was like, hallelujah, hallelujah. You know what I mean? Because that was their, whatever their expectation was, he patterned it nicely. But like, get rid of any expectations other than that which it genuinely ought to be. <sighs> Great expectations. See, what is your expect? Like, what is, like, according to what standard? How many people do you know personally? Not, not online, not on TV, not someone that you never ever met before. I'm, I'm talking about how many people do you know personally? You know what I'm saying? Like, I can count on one hand the people that I know personally, know their name, you know what I'm saying? That you can put a mic in their hand at any time, you know what I'm saying? And all you hear is wisdom. And they've got incredible tact and eloquence and they're confident and they're consistently clear. But it's only a handful of people. Most people I know are afraid to touch the mic. They're scared to stand up front. They're scared to communicate to a crowd. Isn't that, the no isn't that generally speaking the truth? We're trying to, that's the norm, isn't it, my brother? So then, how do we measure our expectations then? If that's the norm... See, the text helpfully says not many. I'm glad it didn't say not any. <laughs> but it says not many are powerful, are from noble birth. And, and I'm saying, it's particularly according to worldly standards. And what, so when it comes to the church, then I'm saying those that God has called, verse 26, generally speaking, not many are wise, powerful, noble birth. And... This according to God's calling. We mustn't misunderstand this. Otherwise we're coming with false expectations. And it will wrongly frame your thinking. And this is one of the things that leads to division. Humility is the order of the day. Not pride and arrogance. Based on worldly standards. That's our first point. Consider God's calling. Number two. Consider. Oh. Stress. Consider God's choice. That's better. Consider God's choice now, verse 27 to 29. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. See, because 
that would be the temptation, wouldn't it? To boast. To boast. You know, Jeremiah chapter 9, have I got it here for you? Jeremiah chapter 9 says, Thus says the Lord, this is not just a New Testament concept. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. This is actually where the verse came from as far as Paul was concerned. Let, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. It don't mean you can't be wise, but don't boast in it. Because then what you do is you perpetuate this perspective that others will expect that which is unfairly expected. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love. Can you hear the gospel? Justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things, notice, God says, I delight, declares the Lord. You see the Jews and the Greeks. The Jews, we see in the text. You see this cross business, this crucifixion business, they absolutely abhorred that. They dis it was despicable to them to think of the Messiah crucified. It was, it was an oxymoron. The two were mutually exclusive. You couldn't have the two in the same sentence. Because how many of you know in the Old Testament, it says, it says, what about a person that hangs on a tree? It says they're cursed. And they never understood that it was one Messiah, but two comings. At his second coming, yes, he will be the exalted king of glory. And I'm saying, but at his first coming, it was going to be like Joseph, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, who would, Psalm 22, be crucified. They pierced my hands and my feet. So for the Jews, like this cross business, they weren't having it. They weren't buying it. And, and one of the things they also looked for was signs, because they used to, remember, they used to Moses. Lord, how, how, how am I going to prove to the people that it's you sent me? Oh, throw down your stuff, it'll become a serpent. You know what I'm saying? Here comes the manna. Here comes quail. You know what I'm saying? Here comes the angel of death. You know what I'm saying? It's like, they were used to all of these signs, like, and, and on a regular basis, you remember, that's what they would always say to Jesus. You know? Like, how do, we know? how do we know we can listen to you? Like, prove yourself. Even, even come down off the cross. Yet Jesus says, only a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. The Greeks, on the other hand, remember, they were, they, they were drawn to academia. Remember, they had, as Rich said last week, the, 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 the cream of the academic philosophers, Plato, Socrates, you know what I'm saying, Aristotle and Pythagoras, you know what I'm saying? And Paul's like, look, if you're looking... If you're looking for those, if you're looking, if you're looking to those with PhDs and only listening to the intellectually impressive, you could easily have missed the apostles. You know, in Acts chapter 4, it says, 
Now, when they saw, this is speaking of the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were noticed, doctors, uneducated, common men, they were astonished. (laughs) And notice it says, and they recognized that these men had been with Jesus, which is that which made the difference. See, if you're looking for the amazing and the spectacular, you could actually miss the amazing and the spectacular. If you missed, if you could easily have missed the apostles because you were looking for the wrong thing, you could actually not only miss them, but you could actually be susceptible to missing Jesus as we consider our third point. Consider God's Christ. Verse 30 to 31. He is the source of your life. It's to be found in Christ Jesus, who God made, notice, four things. Our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, if you're going to boast, make sure you're boasting in the right thing, in the right person. If you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. How many of you know Jesus His mom and dad were working class. We know that because of the sacrifices that Joseph and Mary brought at his birth. They didn't have money to bring a a, a lamb or a sheep or an ox. What did they bring? Two turtle doves because that's all they could afford. And that was indicative of the fact that anybody can come to the temple and offer up sacrifices. You know what I'm saying? Whether you're rich or you're poor. Remember, Jesus was a carpenter. He was skilled, but he was still a manual worker. And I mean, blue collar, if you like. And he lived in Nazareth, which is where? It's in a place called Gal- Galilee, which is north of Israel. And some things don't change. Because Jesus was brought up in the north, not down in the city of Jerusalem. And I'm saying, you could say Jesus, if you like, was brought up in Grantham. Some of you don't even know where that is. And I'm saying, or if you watch, anybody know where, where Salford is? All right. What popularized Salford? I see Judith smiling. Coronation Street. It's where the common people come from. And I'm saying, do you remember Nathaniel speaking to Philip when they were talking about the Messiah? And I'm saying, Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Galilee? <laughs> Can it? All right, which is where Nazareth was. Can you hear the intimation? Like, what, them northerners? What up there? Them country bunkins? Come on now. Uncivilized. Remember when the soldiers came to get Jesus? I'm just trying to paint this picture of Jesus being a common man. When the soldiers came to get Jesus, they couldn't even tell who he was. Because... Because Jesus never had a halo above his head. You know what I'm saying? Jesus didn't glow in the dark. And he didn't hover six inches off the ground. Like, he was just a normal individual. Isaiah 53 verse 2, prophetically speaking about Jesus, says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. 
if you had worldly great expectations, you would have missed Jesus. But there was a beauty there, wasn't there? And I mentioned four things. Wisdom. In Luke chapter, Luke chapter 11, it says, The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Why? For she came from the ends of the earth to hear, Note, the wisdom of Solomon and behold, speaking of Jesus, something greater than Solomon is here. Righteousness, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the second book, the sister book to this book, verse 21 of chapter 5 says, For our sake he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become, note, the righteousness of God. If you know anything about unrighteousness, you know how ugly it is. And if you know anything about righteousness from God's point of view, you know how beautiful that is and how unattainable it is from a natural human perspective. We needed a superman to come and rescue us. And his name is Jesus. What? Just because he ain't got a blue and white suit and a cape and a, and a curly lock, If you've got the right perspective and the right paradigm, if you've got, the right, if you've got rightly framed thinking, you see the righteousness that comes from God through Christ imputed to us. And it's something that the world is blind to. It's not something that the world is chasing. But when you have your eyes open, it's one of those things you begin to thirst and hunger for. Righteousness. Jesus is also our, as we consider him, he's also our sanctification. First Thessalonians 5, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Complete sanctification comes by being in Christ. You know, the term in Christ comes up hundreds of times, particularly in the Pauline epistles, in the 13 letters that Paul wrote. He was astounded at the wonder and the beauty of what it meant to no longer be in Adam, but to be in Christ. Remember the two groups we talked about at the beginning. Those who reject the cross and see it as foolishness. To those, the cross, because they're perishing, means nothing. But to those who are being saved, Jesus it's not only the wisdom of God and the righteousness of our righteousness. He's also our sanctification. <clears throat> and then fourthly, Jesus is our redemption. Ephesians chapter 1, a beautiful chapter that talks about our adoption 
and us being brought into the family of God and the fact that we have an inheritance. You know, your inheritance is so special. You know, how would you feel if, if Richard Branson said to you, you know what, I'm going to give you half of my inheritance? And, I mean, it, <clears throat> to say that Richard Branson doesn't compare to the God that created everything that he has and Richard Branson, to say that there's no comparison would be an understatement. Yet, we don't even, we're not even, like, excited about our inheritance. You know, like, it's like, if God was to die, you'd get everything he owns. How about that? I mean, but he ain't going to die, right? But you still get it anyway. We're not talking about inheritance. This is Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm saying, and, and Paul is talking about this wonderful, notice, redemption that we have. In him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Redemption. Jesus is our wisdom. He's our righteousness. He's our sanctification and our redemption. Therefore, as we consider God's calling, as we consider God's choice, as we consider God's Christ, what is our great expectation? Hopefully it's not in ourselves. It's not in our cleverness, in our qualifications. Your confidence isn't in my lack or should I say my, my achieved or my lack of qualifications? That's not where your confidence is. Hopefully your confidence is not according to human or worldly qualifications or according to worldly standards. And I'm hoping that our boast, you know what I'm saying, is not going to be in ourselves. Paul says in this book later on, what do you have that you did not receive? The only boast that we have is the one who has given us all that we have and more. Our boast is not in ourselves, but in the one who could easily be overlooked and even overlooked by us if our perspective isn't one framed by scripture. Will you pray with me as I invite the, the, band to, the, the praise team to come back up? Father, would you help us um, help us not to be immature in our thinking? Lord, would you help us not to think in a worldly fashion? Would you help us not to think like children, but that you'd help us to grow up in our understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.